Every seminary student who is training to be a pastor uh, is required to do an internship in a local congregation, which makes sense, right? Like rather than just deciding you're going to be a pastor, you should, you know, try it while you're training for it and see what you're good at and see what you're not and get feedback from people. And, uh, and I had to do that uh, when I was a, a seminary student a long, 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 long time ago. <laughs> When I was a seminary student, I was uh, already working at a local church doing college ministry in Atlanta, Georgia, called North Avenue Presbyterian Church, and worked out for me to do my uh, internship there at North Avenue. And, and it was, a, it was a, a wonderful time, but one of the things you have to do when you do your internship is that you have to have a committee, because we're Presbyterian, so you gotta have a committee, and you have a lay committee that oversees you, right? Uh, to give you feedback and to kind of pray for you and walk with you on the journey. And when I found out my committee, I had a chair of my committee was a woman in her 60s at the time named Sarah Ann Johnson. Now, Sarah Ann Johnson was at the time about five feet tall. She was just this fireball of energy. She uh, had the thickest Southern accent that I pretty much have ever heard. And she just moved a thousand miles an hour. And so I still remember our first meeting, sitting there with the committee, and Sarah Ann came in, she had a folder under one hand, which had all the information for the internship, and she had a notebook in the other. She walked in and she sat down, it was like a hurricane, just sort of like walking in, and she goes, all right, guys, here's what we're gonna do. I don't know why I got picked for this, don't know why they chose me for this, but Thomas, I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna do three things for you. I'm gonna be honest with you, I'm gonna support you, and I'm gonna pray for you. I'm not one of those Christians at these churches that just shows up saying they're gonna pray for you. We're, churches are full of people who say they're gonna pray more than they pray. I actually pray. If I tell you I'm gonna pray for you, I'm gonna pray for you, do you understand that? I said, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am, I do. And she said, good, because you're going to be prayed for. You're gonna be on, we're going to be honest with you, and we're going to support you. Do you understand that? And I said, yes, ma'am, I do. And she goes, I want you to see my notebook. i got this notebook right here, my prayer notebook that I keep. And, and I don't just pray. Uh, when I went through the notebook uh, every day, I pray through this front page. And you see you're on the front page here. You're on the daily prayer thing. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for your family. I'm praying for your ministry. And I said, thank you. And she said, all right. So I got right here, Thomas Daniel. You see that? And I said, yes. She goes, you're getting Beth, right next to it, Beth Daniel. Do you see that? And I said, yes, ma'am. She goes, and right here, I got the college ministry of this church. She said, every day, every morning, I'm praying for you. Do you understand? And I said, yes, ma'am, I do. It's a powerful thing to be prayed for. It's a powerful thing to have someone praying for you. When people get out of their own self-absorbed orbit long enough, to pray for you. It's a powerful thing. I don't know how many of us pray for our own church every day. Sarian was praying for the college ministry of this church. I saw Sarian after the internship several times. I kept working in college ministry at North Avenue for uh, several years. And when I'd see her, she'd, look at it, she'd always have her prayer notebook with me. It's like, I'd see her in the hall. It's like, still praying for you every day. Got your family down right here. Got the ministry down right here. And I said, thank you. In 2019, many years later, I was uh, obviously the pastor here at Covenant, was going back to Atlanta for a board meeting, a board that I serve on, and, uh, got, and went a few hours early because uh, the p senior pastor of North Avenue, the church that Beth and I had both first worked out, uh, was retiring. And I wanted to go early to go to North Avenue and meet with him to say thank you. Because he had made such a huge impact. He had given both of us just these incredible opportunities and in ministry, and we had learned so much. And I just, you know, I wanted to look at him as he's retiring and just say, hey, I just want to say you've made a huge difference in my life. Thank you for the chances that you've given me. And I had always, he and I had always gotten along. We started telling stories and laughing. And then all of a sudden he looked down at his watch. He goes, oh my gosh, I got to go. I'm late for session meeting. The session's meeting upstairs and it starts in like two minutes and I got to go. And I said, well, no problem. I just wanted to say things. He goes, why don't you come? 
you would know of some of the people there. And, uh, and I said, no, 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 I got this like board meeting and I, you know, I, I don't go to session meetings voluntarily. I, I just, you know, I, I, that's not something I do. He goes, why don't you just come? Then we start with a devotion. He goes, why don't you, uh, why don't you do the devotion? I said, well, you know, I haven't really prepared a devotion at all because uh, I didn't think I was going to the session meeting. He goes, well, you think well on your feet, just like make it up as you go along. And somewhere in there, the logic of that made me go, okay, I think I'll do that. I think I'll go show up and make up a devotion. And so I did. I just kind of walked into the room and made up a devotion. Now, I don't remember what I said, and probably nobody else should remember what I said. Uh, but what I do remember was walking in, and there were a number of new faces there. People, you know, it had been a long time since I had been there. But there were some faces I recognized. It was so good to see them. And one of the people who struggled to get to her feet in her 80s at this point, was Sarah Ann Johnson. She had rheumatoid arthritis. It was really difficult for her to get up, but she stood up, and I walked over and gave her a hug, and she said, Thomasine, look at this notebook right here. And she, and she opened up this new prayer notebook, and she goes, I told you I'd be praying for you every day, and I'm still praying for you every morning. Every morning when I wake up, you're on being prayed for. It. I don't do it like I'm just talking about praying. I pray for you. I pray for you. I pray for your family. Look right here. Thomas Daniel, written there. Beth Daniel, written there. Miriam Grace Daniel, written there. Hannah Joy Daniel, written there. And Covenant Presbyterian Church in Austin, Texas, written there. None of you know who Sarah Ann Johnson is, but she was, well, you do. Tom Kelman knows who Sarah Ann Johnson is. So I just lied in a sermon. <laughs> It was a good description of her, though, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. yeah, it was. <laughs> but Sarah Ann Johnson was praying for you every day, and not just talking about praying for you. She was praying for the flourishing of Covenant Presbyterian Church. She was praying for you, not this building. She was praying for you. It's a powerful thing to be prayed for. For someone to get out of their own self-absorbed orbit long enough to lift you before the Lord. And as so we come to the end of this Unlocking Joy series today, this three-week series as we've introduced this capital campaign by the same name, we're going to be talking about the power of prayer, of how we pray for each other. Because the scripture passage we're looking at from Philippians 1 as we end this first section is Paul praying for the church in Philippi. And I want us to read Paul's prayer Verses 9 through 11. This is what he says. He says, And this is my prayer, that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help you to determine what really matters, so that in the day of Christ you may be pure and blameless, having produced the harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray... As Sarah Ann Johnson prayed, as the Apostle Paul here prays, I pray, we pray, that no matter who we are or how we worship you today, we would experience your gospel, your good news, and it would change us forever. And we lift this prayer up in the name of Jesus. Amen. It's a powerful thing to be prayed for. we talked about last week, the Apostle Paul is writing this letter from prison. He's at the very end of his life. 
And I find it amazing as he's waiting his likely execution for his faith that he's not writing to the Philippian church saying, you need to be praying more for me. You need to be paying more attention to me. But what he's saying to them is, I'm praying for you. Paul's great ministry, among other things, was the bringing of the gospel to the Gentiles, of which you and I are inheritors of that ministry. Paul is kind of a spiritual ancestor to each and every one of us. And this is the last prayer we have that he's recorded of praying for the church. And and I want to make a suggestion to us today. I don't think Paul was simply praying this prayer for the church in Philippi. I think this is what he prayed for the church. And so I want you to imagine for a second that Paul's praying this for us. For you. For us as covenant. That he was praying that day and somewhere... We are part of that prayer. And so I want you to listen to this passage again, not as like analyzing scripture, but I want you to imagine Paul speaking this prayer almost as a prayer of blessing over you, over us. And I want you to listen to what he says he's praying for us. Hear it again. And this is my prayer, that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help you to determine what really matters. So that in the day of Christ, you may be pure and blameless, having produced the harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. There's a lot in this prayer. He's praying that we would have a harvest, that our lives would produce fruit, that there would be a consequence to you and I being here, that our lives would produce something. He's praying that we would have the wisdom to be able to separate what matters in life from what doesn't really matter as much in life. And we struggle as human beings with that all the time, of majoring in the minors. But where I want us to begin this morning in understanding this prayer and how it's a part of unlocking joy, because I think that's what Sarah praying for, for us to flourish, to have joy. I think that's what Paul's prayer really is about. I want you to flourish. And where he says it begins is built upon one single word. Love. He said love is the basis for everything he's praying for, for the church. Love is the foundation of what it's all about. This is an echo of the values of Jesus when he's asked the question, what's the most important commandment, as we've talked about? And he says to love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. He says if you're not doing that, it doesn't matter what your job is, it doesn't matter where your kids are going to college, it doesn't matter uh, the, the football team you pull for and whether they're winning or not, it doesn't matter about anything else in life. You're missing what life is about. It's about love, of loving God and loving other people. Paul's saying that everything I'm praying for you is that your love would overflow. So we need to take a second to just say, what does that word mean? We might go, well, love. It's love. But think about how we use the word love in English. I can use that word, and I probably will today, with things like, I love pizza, which is true. That's a true statement. I do love pizza. And I, I love my wife. I don't mean those exactly the same way, (laughs) right? We use love a lot. What do we mean by it? Well, the first thing that we need to understand about the word love in the Bible is that love is something that you and I cannot generate on our own. We have to receive love before we can give love. The first question about love is, can you and I be receptors of love? Can we receive love? And that can actually be a tricky thing to do. 
The Bible says that, that we love because God first loved us. Because God is the origin of love. Because God loves us, we can then love other people. But we can't do that if we don't receive it. What we also need to understand about love is that, is that Paul's talking about love in a very specific way here. There's a lot of ways in Greek you can describe love because they understood that loving your wife and loving God and loving pizza, I don't know they had pizza, but whatever they had that was the equivalent of pizza that everyone just sort of agreed was really good, they understood that those were different words. The word he's using here that would overflow more and more in you is a word Alan Hilton's been talking to us about, agape love. Agape love is a love that is generous. Agape love is not a feeling, and this is really important. When we talk about love, we often talk about what we feel. Oh, they're in love. You can see that they're in love. Now, we're not the anti-feeling church. We're Presbyterians. We're, we're close, but we're, we're not anti-feeling. We're not anti-emotion. But the purest form of love isn't a feeling. In fact, our feelings when it comes to love can betray us because there are going to be times we don't feel loved. There are going to be times when we feel overlooked, talked about, uh, 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 forgotten, fired, betrayed. There are going to be all kinds of messages in our life that don't make us feel as though we are loved. But love at its core that Paul's writing about that overflows me is not a feeling. It's an action. Or as Bob Goff writes, love does. It is a love that is in action that sacrifices and serves another. The purest form of love in the entire world is not captured by Romeo and Juliet. It's not written in a John Donne sonnet, as beautiful and wonderful as those are. But the perfection of love took place on a Roman cross outside the walls of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, where the Son of Man didn't feel something for us, but served and gave his life away so that hope and life and salvation could come to this world. That's what love looks like. And we need to receive that love. That's Paul's prayer, that we would know joy. And it begins with the fact we would know we're loved. So in a world that tells us that, that, that love is kind of earned or that we can feel unworthy, unloved, how do you remember how loved you are? Well, the good news is you're in the right place. Crosses become so common, we don't even really notice when we wear them around our necks, we wear them in our house, we see them in our houses, and, and we see them on churches, and it signals, oh, that's a church, building, institution. There are a lot of things that the cross symbolizes, but if nothing else, what the cross should mean whenever you see it is that this is the ultimate love letter that's ever been written. Written by God that says that you were on God's mind. And this world was on God's mind when he gave himself away. That's how much you are loved. That's how much worth you have. That's how much value you have. Love is not a feeling. It is a fact. Feelings can betray us. The cross does not. We have to remember that. So, so um, a few weeks ago, we had a confirmation class, join this church. And uh, all these high schoolers professing their faith. We had a, uh, a young man get baptized at our earlier service today, the 815 service. Uh, it's powerful when you see um, young people making a decision to follow Jesus. And I walked in to ask the confirmation class this, um, uh, this set of questions so that they could officially um, become into the fellowship and profess their faith. And when I went in, they had some gifts. And so I got there a few minutes early, so I just kind of walked over and looked at what the gifts were for our confirmants. And when I first saw it, one of the things they were given was a wooden cross. 
But I was like, I was looking at it going, that is the jankiest little cross I have ever, like, are we, are we penny pinching here? Like, that is the worst looking cross that I've ever seen. The horizontal lines weren't straight across, they were like this, uh, and the, the vertical line wasn't straight, it was this like weird curving. And you're looking at it going, what, like, could we not afford a real cross for our confirmands? Like, could we just spend the extra money to get them a cross that didn't look like it was made by a four-year-old? You know, just go, I don't know, that's a cross, right? But what these crosses were is they weren't actually wooden crosses that were designed to look at. And some of you may have seen these before, but they're crosses that are actually designed to fit in your hand, to be gripped. They're made to fit in your hand. They're designed with a shape so that you can just easily hold it. And they said we've given these students to, uh, these crosses to the students so that they carry them in their pocket, not to look at, they, they carry them in their backpack. And when a day is really hard or when they don't feel, when they feel left out, when they feel forgotten, when they feel like they're not that important, that they can grip that cross and remember what's true. To remember that their souls have a worth that nobody can add to and nobody can take away from. That's powerful. To remember they're loved. Paul's saying that everything in life to have joy, everything that makes life worth living, it has to start with that idea of love. And you cannot have love overflowing from you if you don't receive it. So this day, know how loved you are, how much worth and value you have. And when those moments come where you don't, feel it. Find a way to remember it. You have more worth than you could ever imagine. And Paul wants you to know that. He's praying you know that to the extent that it wouldn't just be a love you receive, but it would fill you up and actually pour out, like from your pores, just pour out from you to others. I want your love to overflow. And that leads us to the second part of the prayer, the, the, the ending part. I want your love to overflow what? So that you'll know with more and more insight what is uh, truly important so that your life can produce a harvest. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, one of the things we struggle with as humanity isn't to know what really matters in life. We are, we, as human beings, we major in the minors in terms of what's important. Like, we live in a culture now that celebrates very publicly that what brings fulfillment and meaning to life is if you've accomplished enough and acquired enough, right? It's like if I have the, the uh, amazing degree from the right school and I can display it on the wall and everybody can know about it and I can like post vacations online because I got this amazing job that pays for me to go to places to make other people jealous and my kids seem amazing and they look like they're just the definition of perfection and success walking through the world and if I can have, uh, you know, have the right house and live in the right place and all these things fit together that somewhere in there life makes sense and, and becomes whole. And I want you to know, and I think we do know that, but we have to be reminded of it at times, that that is not true. It's a lie being just kind of placed out in the world over and over and over again. There are people who have every amount of worldly success and they are miserable. And yet there are people who are very successful who have incredible meaning and purpose to their life. Because it's not found in the acquiring of stuff or accomplishments. A uh, picture we're going to bring up here is a kind of really interesting reminder uh, that I heard recently about this. This is uh, from several years ago, uh, Oscar award ceremony, Matt Damon on the left, Robin Williams in the middle, Ben Affleck on the right. Uh, this is where Matt Damon and Ben Affleck sort of like launched into the stratosphere. They won Oscars in their 20s 
for writing Good Will Hunting. Robin Williams won an Oscar for acting in it. The reason I bring this up and we're gonna keep it up is like, look how happy they are. God, they've got life figured out. Like that's, that's like what everybody wants. It's like the most watched event, or was, on TV. Uh, you know, this is kind of like this moment and they're in their 20s having won it. I saw recently uh, an interview with Matt Damon. You know, he's still one of the biggest actors in the world. And uh, it was on a British talk show host. And uh, the person was asking him about this night, saying, what was that like in your 20s to win an Oscar? And, and he has this wonderful, like, British face. He goes, that must have been bonkers, right? It must have been bonkers. And Matt Damon gave this fascinating reply. And what he said is, he goes, yeah, it was unbelievable. You're like, you're just like, the adrenaline's coursing through you. We like went to the after parties, all these like A-list stars that would never have talked to us before are coming up and they're like, can I hold your Oscar? Like, what was it like? And how did you do this? And they had been pursuing this their whole life and we had wanted to be like them and now they want to be like us. And uh, he said, it was just this like unbelievable moment. And he said, I remember going back to my apartment afterwards and I got to my apartment and I had so much adrenaline going through me, I couldn't sleep. And so I just sat on my couch and I placed the Oscar on the coffee table and I was just looking at it in my apartment, sitting there, and he good. what I realized was, it's not actually all that great. <laughs> I don't feel any different than I did before. I thought it would be this culminating thing, and it's not. And he said, and then what came over me was a tense feeling of both sadness and gratitude. The sadness that I thought this was the thing I was hoping to get in my life and I had gotten it and I realized it wasn't that great. I've told you guys before, what I often see in people coming to faith is that it's not that their life is a tragedy and doesn't work, it's that they accomplish things and then they look around going, I don't know, this is what I thought it would all be great and it's not. And he said, but then the second emotion that washed over me was this. Thank goodness I learned this in my 20s. Because he said, I had this picture of myself in my 80s having sacrificed everything to get this and only realizing when it was almost too late that it really wasn't worth building your entire life around. Now, I don't know if Matt Damon's figured out what life is about. I hope so. But I'm grateful for a really honest conversation about that moment not being what we all probably assume it must have been like. Paul's saying, I want you to know what matters in life, what's important, what's worth giving yourself to, and what's just the stuff that makes us busy that in the end you realize wasn't all that important in the first place. And he's saying that the way you know that is through love. He goes, the way you can become somebody that knows what's really important by what's not really important is how you love other people. You, he said, you know, that, that, that it's the foundation is love. And then what we have to do is that not about like living a life, it's about acquiring and, and accomplishing only, but it's about becoming and embodying that love for the world. We can take Matt and Ben down now. Um, thank you. They were distracting me. They're very, they're very handsome. Um, <laughs> life is about you becoming that love for others. That's what's really important. That's why that love helps you determine what's really important and what's not, is because we then embody what we've received and change others' lives. That's the harvest. That's what matters. 
I recently had a meeting with somebody, um, and she gave me permission to share a little bit of this. Um, it was someone who um, has been very successful. Started a business, actually kind of led this business here in Austin. Uh, it's a national um, company, and she started the Austin kind of branch of this company. It's blown into one of the biggest branches in the entire country. She's led it, uh, been wildly successful. And uh, she talked about how she's moving towards retirement, but she said, I'm in this weird place because I'm retiring, and yet all of a sudden I don't want to retire. She said, I I've done like dreaming about retirement. And now I'm getting to the point of retiring and I don't want to. And I said, well, why, why is that? And she said, because I've never enjoyed it more. And I said, well, what, like, what's different? What are you enjoying so much about it? And she said, you know, for, for decades, my entire focus is on building this platform, building this thing, doing whatever we had to do to make this a success and for me to lead the success that it is. And when the board came along and said, it's probably time for us to start thinking about a succession plan, they asked me to do two things. They asked me, number one, that we had the person that was going to take over, and my job was to just do whatever I could do to support her. It was no longer to be in the spotlight, but it was like, how can I just serve this person so that they are elevated in every way possible? And she said, work has never been as fun. It is so much more rewarding to lift another person up than it is to worry about, are you being lifted up? And she said, on top of that, then they said, we also want to kind of release some of your time to be out in the community of Austin as an ambassador for this organization, seeking to love this city. And she goes, and that's what we've been talking about at church. And so all of a sudden, I am busier than I have ever been trying to lift up pockets and places in Austin that really, I believe, need God's love, trying to go through my office going, how do I lift up these new generation of leaders coming along? And she said, it has never been this rewarding. I'm having people come into my office and they're like talking about their life and they're talking about their decisions. They're talking about their values. I've had people ask if I could pray for them. All these things that never happened before and I am just loving it and I don't want to stop doing this because I'm not thinking about me nearly as much as I'm now thinking about them and the city and beyond. Paul says that what really matters is when you've received so much love that it flows out from you and you begin to embody a love that serves other people, that that's what's really important in life. Do you know what really matters? Do you align your time and energy around that love? It's always a question we need to ask. I know we're busy, but are we busy with the right things? Sarian Johnson prayed. She prayed for the flourishing of my family, of this church. Paul is praying here for the church in Philippi, and I believe praying for us, and it's a prayer that is good for us to hear. It's a powerful thing to have someone praying for you, praying for us as a congregation, hearing this prayer for us individually. And I'm going to end this sermon by giving you my summary of Paul's prayer. That you today would know how loved you are. That you would know it, know it that it would flow forth from you. That you'd live your life for the things that matter. 
And that that love would create a harvest in the lives of others that's worth giving yourself to. It's a prayer worth praying for each other. It's a life worth living. It's what unlocking joy in ourselves and others probably looks like. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we do pray that Paul's prayer would lead and shape us as a community, as families, as individuals, this day and always. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.